Well, we're going to kick off a brand new series today called Supernatural, and the title of my message, if you're a note taker, is Ask, all right? So just write that down if you are a note taker. And if you're not, I want to challenge you. For those of you that don't know, um, I have been the interim student pastor while we've been looking for what we found as our new uh, family pastor, which will be here in just a few short weeks. But in the meantime, I've been teaching on Wednesday nights and leading that ministry, and I challenged our students a few weeks ago to do something, and I thought, why am I just challenging the students on Wednesday night to do this? Why am I not challenging our church on Sunday morning to do this? And that challenge has been for all the students to bring their Bible and their notebook on Wednesday night because I said, when you bring not only just your Bible, but also your notebook, you're saying by bringing a notebook or something to write with that I expect to hear something that's going to be worth writing down. It's like you're already putting your heart in a position of expectation before you even show up to church. And I think that God will minister to you in ways when you are here with your church family and through the teaching of the Word and maybe through other ways where there will be something prompted in your heart that God may want you to remember. Because I don't know about you, but I lose my keys all the time. And I always think my wife hides them from me, but it's just me misplacing my own keys. It's not necessarily that she's hiding my keys from me. So I know no matter how good you think it is and how much you may remember, the odds are something else may come along that may steal that thought away. And you're like, oh man, what was that thing that I heard today? I want to remember that. So I would challenge you as a point of expectation, not just to the teenagers, but to our adult congregation as well, Bring something to write with because it's a statement of faith on your end, and, and look at it that way. Look at that thing that you're going to take notes on, not just as somewhere where you can scribble and doodle or, you know, write notes to your spouse about where are we going to eat today. You know, instead, use that as an opportunity to, before you even show up, say, I expect to hear something that's going to be worth writing down, something that's going to impact my life, that has the potential to change my life, or maybe God wants me to share this with someone else. So it's a it's a faith thing, and I want you to do that. So the title of my message is Ask, and we are going to go through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14 throughout this series, and we're going to do so verse by verse, and we're going to handle this passage of Scripture in a way that does a, a proper study of it and a proper exegesis or, or lifting out of that Scripture so we can understand exactly the context of what's happening here and what it means to us today. Because the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth, and his intent and his purpose writing this letter we call 1 Corinthians was to correct some issues that the church was having. The church had come under some bad believing systems, and they had also drug along their uh, ways they had lived prior to coming to Christ that were called paganism. They were pagans before Christ, and so they brought along a lot of those pagan practices and things that they just grew up thinking were normal. And so because of their upbringing, because uh, the message of the gospel is something that these people had just recently experienced in Corinth, these people are doing all sorts of things that are not really glorifying God, and it's causing some issues in the church. And Paul hears about it, and he writes this letter in response with his apostolic authority to help correct and bring correction to these issues. There's eight specific things that Paul deals with throughout the letter of 1 Corinthians, and you can go and study 1 Corinthians if you want to, but he's really getting on to them and helping to correct the things that they've been doing wrong or not doing or tolerating, all the different issues on 
on the questions that they had, kind of the big rocks that were in the way that were hindering the gospel from moving forward because they were getting stuck in these eight different areas. And so he handles them systematically. He goes through them one at a time, but he deals specifically with the gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And in that area is where we're going to read today and where we're going to be for the next few weeks. But in light of this teaching, we have to establish some ground rules, okay? We have to establish a proper way to interpret and deal with Scripture, especially when dealing with topics that caused problems over 2,000 years ago that are still causing confusion to this day. So we want to make sure that we handle these things properly. And here's some ground rules that we're going to lay from the get-go. Number one, we agree that God's Word is the authority concerning what is truth, not our experiences. I grew up believing that if I experienced it, that, wow, it must be true. If, if I felt it, if it was something that was meaningful to me, if it was something someone else told me, then it must be true. However, I had to arrive at a place as I began to mature in my walk with the Lord where I was willing to give up what I believe for the truth, which is the second thing. We always must be willing to give up what we believe for the truth. Just because you believe something, even if you sincerely believe it, it doesn't mean that it's true. You could be sincerely wrong, right? We can all be sincerely wrong, and we could have grown up hearing things that were sincerely wrong, not meant from people who were trying to pull the wool over our eyes, not meant from bad-intentioned people, good-intentioned people that we could have learned things from that weren't true. I don't think my parents were trying to teach me false doctrine in the way that I grew up. I think they were well-meaning individuals. But however, the types of churches that we went to and things we experienced, there was a lot of error in a lot of the things that I grew up believing. So, I I have a choice now. Now that I am faced with the truth of God's Word as the final authority that's above all other authority, I can either submit to what God's Word said, or I can go with what I think, or I can go with what I like, or I can go with what makes sense to me. That's the problem with our world today is that we try to make God fit into our box. We try to make God fit into our mold instead of allowing God to show us who He is through His Word, and through the Holy Spirit given to us to help us to see God in His Word. So that means that if I am confronted with something that challenges my belief, there's going to be a tug of war going on. There's going to be a tension that's going to be going on. And somebody's going to win. It's going to be my tradition or it's going to be God. And I would suggest, I would humbly submit to all of us today that we just go ahead and let God win, okay? Okay, let's just go ahead and let him win, all right, because he's right and we're not, no matter what we think. What we think doesn't matter if our thoughts come into contradiction with Scripture. What we've grown up believing and even holding dear doesn't matter if it comes to that belief or what the Bible actually says. I grew up in a way, you guys, where when people would point different things out to me in the Bible or others would show me things that contradicted my beliefs, I would not have a good excuse. I wouldn't have a good answer. One thing in particular, the way I grew up believing, we didn't know how to explain away the book of Job because it didn't fit our doctrine. An entire book of the Bible did not fit our doctrine. And we would go, well, uh, this is really what was going on. And we would have to bring all these hypothetical situations in to try to explain away things that were in Scripture with the way I grew up believing, instead of allowing Scripture to define our beliefs, not the things that others have told me because they could be sincerely wrong. So here's the conclusion that I've had to come to personally. I've had to say, Lord, 
I want to know you for who you are, not who I want you to be, and I want to serve a God that I don't have to make excuses for. I want, I want to serve a God that I don't have to make excuses for, that I don't have to go, well, I don't know why He does that or doesn't do that. I, I guess that the reason it doesn't fit in my worldview is because of this or this. No, what, if, if it says this is part of His character and part of His nature, I need to wrestle with that. And guess what? The wrestling is healthy. It's healthy to wrestle with Scripture. It's healthy for us to wrestle with uh, the, what, what does this mean? Because there are things, man, that, that we've heard that from sincere, good people that, man, are just not things we need to base the foundation of our doctrine and of our lives on. So we have to be willing to give up what we believe for the truth. And we need to focus on the things that Scripture is definitively clear about. And we need to accept the tension in the things that aren't definitive. Because there are things that, man, you could go back and forth all day on in Scripture, and there's tension there. And guess what? That's okay. That's okay. It doesn't have to be this or that with every single thing. Everyone wants to know, just give me the list, give me the formula, give me the steps. There are some things in the Bible that aren't that clearly laid out. The Bible doesn't tell you whether or not you're supposed to go watch that movie that's out right now because it hadn't been made yet, and it's not even in the book of Revelation. So you can't go to Scripture to find a hard answer on that, but you can look at the principles, and you can look at the things that God has revealed about Himself to help us to guide our decisions and our action moving forward, because God isn't going to tell you in the Bible whether or not to take that job. You can try to throw your Bible up and see if it lands on something, but that doesn't work. So, we need to make sure that we hold fast to the things the Bible is definitively clear on, and it's okay to live in the tension with the things that aren't as definitive. But in light of that statement, we are to pursue God and unity in His church and, not, and, and to not allow those things that cause tension to cause division. Amen, somebody? So we're going to make sure that we walk in love, because I think it's really interesting. As we're going to go through this study, you're going to find something very interesting, that there's this kind of sandwich effect, there's this bookend effect of chapter 12 and chapter 14 in the letter uh, that we call 1 Corinthians, and there's this thing in the middle, and it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which if you have been around church uh, very long, you may have heard this referred to as the love chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 talks about all the things that love is over and over and over and over again, and it talks about the importance of love, but it is in the context along with and bookend with this idea of dealing with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So Paul is really trying to weave the theme throughout dealing with this issue at this church that love needs to really be the foundation of our interactions with one another concerning the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that this stuff should not cause division, that it should only help us to do what God has created us to do. So with that in mind, let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and let's start reading the first three verses here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Some of your translations may say, I don't want you to be ignorant. I really like that. I wish that the ESV said ignorant because that's a fun word to say in church. Concerning this, <laughs> he says, concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. 
I don't want you to be uninformed. Verse 2, you know when you were pagans, so this is before they knew Christ, when you were pagans, you were led astray by false idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit empowers believers supernaturally. And Paul didn't want them to be ignorant concerning these gifts. He wanted to establish there is a difference between the Holy Spirit of God and the weird stuff you did when you were a pagan. He wanted to establish a stark difference to say, listen, you guys have drug along some of your former beliefs, some of your former experiences, some of the weird stuff and ideology that you have, and you've associated this gift of the Holy Spirit and this work of the Holy Spirit with all of these strange things. One of the main things that he was dealing with was that the pagan belief that they had in that area at the time was that if a spirit would overtake you or empower you to do something, that it would literally almost robotically control your movements to where you just become possessed and you are no longer the one that is running the machine. You're not in the driver's seat anymore. That thing has taken over and you are no longer responsible for your words or your actions because this thing has taken over you. And that is one of the ways that they were looking at the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And Paul said, no, this isn't like that stuff you guys did when you were pagans, when you were serving those mute idols that you thought were possessing you and empowering you. This isn't like that. This is different. As a matter of fact, no one can say that, that Jesus is cursed if they really have the Holy Spirit living in them. But also, no one can truly say Jesus is Lord unless the Holy Spirit's living in them too. There's a difference that happens in their life. There is something that should change when the Holy Spirit comes in because the Holy Spirit's primary work that Jesus told us that the Holy Spirit was going to do was to regenerate us unto salvation, that He's the one that does the work. Jesus bought and paid for our salvation salvation on the cross, and then he is seated at the right hand of the throne room of God, and Jesus told his disciples, it's better for you that I go away so the Holy Spirit can come. So the Holy Spirit does that work in us, and then not only does that work of regeneration by that work of the Holy Spirit, but also empowers us to do the things God has created and called us to do. And Paul's telling these guys, listen, Jesus isn't going to embarrass himself here. If you're really under the lordship or the leadership of Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you and you are serving Jesus, not being controlled or possessed like these people believed. And if you're under the lordship of Jesus Christ, you have received the work of the Holy Spirit that has cleansed you and saved you. But the supernatural empowering of the Holy Spirit comes with a baptism, not with water, but with the power of God working in you and through you. Go over to the book of Acts in the first chapter. We're going to see Jesus talking to the disciples here in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. He says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said... You heard from me that John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth." 
the empowering work through us manifests through gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us. These were the things that the Corinthians misunderstood because they looked at those gifts as a way to kind of have a badge, a merit badge of spirituality or something that they could compare to other people to say, oh, well, I am more spiritual because I function in this gift that God has given me through the Holy Spirit or I'm able to do these things. And, and Paul's saying, you guys are really missing the mark. It's not a spirit that controls you and dictates your will and it's not something that's happening that you should be comparing yourselves to other people. So he says, um, on in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, pick it back up in verse 4, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. He says it plain and simple right here. Listen. It's not about you comparing yourself to someone. It's about God giving you His Spirit and empowering you through the Holy Spirit to do something for His glory, and it's not to make you better or less than someone else. These gifts that the Holy Spirit empowers us with are for the good of everyone. They are to minister to the church, and they're to empower us to be stronger witnesses for Jesus. That's what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1. He said to the disciples that this was going to empower them to wait for the empowering of the Spirit to let them be witnesses, stronger witnesses for His kingdom. And He said, you guys are going to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, the people that were in the upper room, they began to speak with other tongues and people heard their own language being spoken because there was a festival there and there were people from all over and they were hearing God being glorified in their own language. And then Peter stood up and began to preach with a boldness like they had never seen. And after he got finished preaching, the Bible says 3,000 people were added to the church that day. 3,000 people got saved because of this boldness. And then they began to question Peter. And they were like, what seminary did this guy go to? Isn't that the fisherman? And they're like, yeah, it's the, the Holy Spirit in Peter that enabled him and empowered him to do something that wasn't really in his skill set or in his training. It gave him the ability to proclaim the Word of God boldly. There were other times where people would, would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak the Word of God boldly or to manifest through different gifts that the Spirit would give them as He distributed these things to Him as He will. And Peter spoke with a new authority that he had not been trained in, but after receiving that Holy Spirit, some people spoke in tongues and glorified God in their own language. Some people laid hands on others and sick people were healed. Uh, other people were given words of encouragement that the Holy Spirit gave them to share with other people. There were all sorts of things that God was using the church to do, and there are so many gifts that the Holy Spirit has given, and we are all stronger together when we're operating in our gifts through the power of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit doesn't just give us just any gift. He wants 
to distribute these gifts as He wills. Let's read on, pick it back up in verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 12. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by the one and same Spirit who apportions each to each individual as He wills. This is very important. Some people were probably comparing themselves to others and wondering which gift is most important. My gift is the most important. And, and, and Paul's saying, no, you guys are missing the mark. This is not an exhaustive list. Paul is using this as a, as a reference. He's using just a few of these gifts here because there are other places that mention other gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to us. But this list here is to make an argument that they all come from the same Spirit working on the inside of us and that all gifts, all gifts are equally important. All gifts are from the same Holy Spirit. Man, it doesn't matter if, if it's something that's out front or if it's something that's behind the scenes. In our culture, the way that we give priority and, and importance is things that we see that make a, an immediate or greater impact. Someone would think that uh, someone who had the gift to be a teacher uh, on a stage teaching, you know, hundreds or thousands of people, that man, wow, that's a really important gift. And they wouldn't consider the fact that maybe God had called them to be an intercessor and that they had spent hours where no one had seen them in intercession and in prayer for people that they may never meet on this side of heaven. And they would go, oh, well, well, the person speaking, wow, that's so important. And I, I don't know if God, you know, really thinks that's important. Listen, He does. Which one would you say mattered more, the person praying or the person standing up speaking? Which one's better? Neither is better. They're both equally important, and God has gifted both individuals and empowered both individuals with the gifts by the Holy Spirit to do the things that He's created and called them to do. And they each need to function in their gifts because that's how the body works, right? Each part has to do its own thing that it's created to do, and you and I are parts of the body of Christ, and we each have to do the thing that God has called us to do and stop wondering about who's more important. There's bigger things that we need to be concerned with rather than who's the most spiritual in the church. Come on, somebody. There are things that we need to be concerned about. How about people that are lost and dying and going to hell that don't know Jesus? How about people who are ignorant thinking that they are going to heaven out of their religious works, but they don't understand that we're only saved by the grace of God and that that comes through us activating that faith and trusting in the finished work of what Christ did on the cross, and, but they think that it's somehow something they earn or deserve. But we sang it today. We sang, I, I, I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it but you give yourself away. But people think that they can earn it. They think they can deserve it. There are much greater things we need to be concerned with rather than whose gift is the most important because your gifts don't impress God because they're from God. 
your gifts don't impress God. You've given your children a gift, and then what if they showed it to you and said, look at what I have. Yeah, that's great. I bought it for you. I know. I remember just yesterday, our foster son, he comes down the stairs, and we had gotten him a new polo shirt. We were going. I, I had to perform a, west, a wedding yesterday. He comes down, and he says, hey, look at me. Look at my new shirt. I'm like, yeah, you look great. And he's like, oh, look at my new shirt. Said, yeah, I know. I bought it. You know, it's, it's great that you have that. And, 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 and God's not going, oh, wow, you, you really know how to use that gift well. Wow, you are more special than so-and-so. That's not how it works. All gifts are equally important because we're all part of the body. 1 Corinthians, let's read um, over in verse 12, and let's read the rest of this chapter. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would be weird because now our hands and feet are talking to each other. And if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Verse 17, if the whole body was, uh, were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, uh, each one of them, as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire greater gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. See here that the gifts should unite the body, not divide. It's pride that compares and divides. He said it's the same Spirit that gives these things, and that the body needs to recognize we need one another, that we all need people with different gifts that the Holy Spirit has empowered and given us, that we need to use those gifts for the salvation of the world and the evangelization of the gospel and the edification and building up of the church. Paul said these gifts are for the benefit of everyone. They should benefit all and they should ultimately glorify God because Jesus himself said that the Holy Spirit was not going to speak on his own accord, but everything that he said was going to point people to Jesus. We see throughout Scripture that God shows us our need for him. 
And he shows us how important it is to pursue him and to want to serve him. And man, I don't know about you, but everything in me, I, I want what God wants for me in my life. God, if it's from you and it's for me, I want it. And I want to operate in the gifts you have created me to operate. I want to do the things you've created me to do. In 1 Corinthians 14, which we'll read in a few weeks, Paul opens up that portion of the letter by saying to earnestly desire and seek spiritual gifts. It's something we're supposed to do as Christians is to actually seek to be used by God, but then God doesn't put it on us to do it in our own strength. How cool is that? I mean, if he required us to do it in our own strength, it would be the same as Uncle Sam signing up people to go fight wars overseas and saying, we hope you find some sticks or something over there because, uh, yeah, I mean, we hope you win, but uh, we don't have any equipping for you. We don't have anything we're going to train you in or give you to empower you to do the job we've asked you to do, but, you know, you look pretty strong and we think you could beat up a lot of bad guys. That doesn't make sense, does it? Of course not. We have a natural understanding of if I am being called to do something, then I need to be equipped. That's what we do in our military. We equip those men and women, and we train them, and we teach them, and we empower them to know what they should do, shouldn't do, what they can do, what they can't do. And there is a certain understanding that they have, and that those equipment that they're given is something that they're empowered with. Not something they have to conjure up on their own. It's not like they have to go work for that M16 or, or you know, take out a loan to pay off that fighter jet. And they're grateful for that. It's something that's given freely, but it's expected to be used responsibly. Hello, somebody. It's the same thing as the gifts from the Holy Spirit. They are given freely, but they're expected to be used responsibly. And that's what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth. And what I believe that the Spirit of God is still speaking to his church today through this letter that Paul wrote. Because we can get just as out of whack as the Corinthians did. And this should be a healthy reminder of where the value system of heaven is. As we're learning that God cares about souls being saved and he cares about his church being edified and ultimately him being glorified through those things. And we get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of that, but we can't do it in our own strength, no more than we could ask men and women to go overseas and fight for us in their own strength and their own ability. And the Holy Spirit says, I love the fact that you need me because God wants us to need him because we need him. Sometimes we don't think we need him, but we do. Sometimes we get this idea that, man, I know enough scripture, I've been to church enough, I pray enough, I do enough, I'm a pretty good Christian, and we just kind of feel proud of ourselves. And we miss the need. We miss the need. God wants us to always be aware of the need that we should have for him. And over and over in scripture, from the Old Testament to the New, we're told to be pursuing God. We're told to be seeking Him. God, what do you want for me? What do you want me to do for you? Give me the gifts that you want me to have. A true Holy Spirit-filled and empowered group of believers under the Lordship of Jesus Christ will work in unity and seek the benefit of everyone, not showcasing their gifts, but instead the main thing is that Jesus is glorified, not us. So how do we receive? How do we receive these 
these gifts? How do we walk in and work in these gifts? Well, it's simple, he says, to ask. In Luke chapter 11 and verse 5, Jesus said this, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Hang on. You showed up to my house at midnight and wanted three loaves of bread? The quick trip is down the street. This is what's happening here. This is the example Jesus is giving. It's midnight. Hey, man, you got some bread? I had a guy. He came from out of town. He just showed up. What are you doing at my house, man? It's midnight. Let's see what happens. Verse 7, he'll answer from within. He's not even coming to the door. He's just answering from within. Don't bother me. (laughs) The door is shut. And my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, he will not get up and give him anything. But because he's his friend and because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the, heavenly, will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? He said, just ask. He said, and don't stop asking. That's the point of that parable, is I'm knocking on the door. Yeah, I know it's inconvenient, he said, but because this guy was persistent. In other words, because he really wanted it. It wasn't just a, oh, I thought I'd try this. Oh, it didn't work. You know, some people do that. Some people, if they want something from God or if they want something from another person, hey, it can't hurt. Hey, God, you want to do this thing for me? And then it's like, okay, there's nothing there. So they just walk away. Oh, well, that didn't work. At least I tried. I got a, got a quick no. But what, Lord, no, I know this is your will. I know you want this for me. I've seen it clearly in your scripture, Lord. I want to, I want to ask and I want to receive, Lord. Jesus told the disciples in the book of Acts to wait. In Luke, we're told to expect good gifts from God. Uh, Over in Mark, you see this same parable given, and and he says that that we receive good gifts from our God. And and if he told us that the Holy Spirit is the source of these good gifts, it's the Holy Spirit that has worked in our hearts what Jesus has bought and paid for on the cross, and it's the Holy Spirit that baptizes us with the power of God to be used in a powerful way for the glory of God. And I ask myself sometimes, why why is it set up this way, Lord? I mean... As I read in Scripture, I, I see over and over again people having these encounters with God, and, and I'm like, what, what is the point of all this? And honestly, guys, I don't know. I don't know why God has set it up this way, but here's my opinion, and here's my thought, and you can take my thought for what it is. I personally believe the reason God has set it up this way is because He wants us to pursue Him. That's what I think. That's why I believe that God wants us to pursue Him in this way, because He wants us to want to be used by Him. God's desire is that we would want to be used. Just like Paul said in in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. It's your reasonable act of service. He's saying, I'm begging you, 
want to be used by God? Will you want to be used by God? Because God wants you to want to be used by Him, but then to recognize you can't do it in your own strength. He, he wants us to be used by Him and recognize that it's going to take more than our natural ability to do the things that He's called us to do and things He's called us to do. We can only do so much in our own strength and with our own intellect. We need God. And the empowering of the Holy Spirit reminds us that He is the source, not us. That He's the source, that we can't think this is somehow something we've achieved or we've done. The man in the parable continued to ask. It wasn't a one-time event. It was persistent. So oh, I, I think that God will empower you diff through different times and different seasons and in different ways to do different things for Him. But are you hungry enough to, to pursue? Are you, are you hungry enough to ask, Lord, I recognize I can't do this. I know you put it in my heart to want to reach my coworkers, but God, I, I just don't know what to do about that. Have you said, Lord, give me the gifts of boldness by your Holy Spirit to speak the things like Peter did that day, who was an unlearned, untrained man who spoke and 3,000 people got saved. God, would you empower me with that type of boldness and that type of clarity? Lord, what do you want me to do? If you feel inadequate, great. If you feel inadequate, you are a perfect candidate because it's the inadequate people that God chooses over and over again. As a matter of fact, when we see the uh, prophet Samuel looking to anoint the next king over Israel, he goes and looks at all of Jesse's sons because God tells him that the, the son, the next king is going to come out of the line of Jesse's sons. And he goes to Jesse's sons and he looks at all of these guys. He looks at the big strapping guys first, the oldest guys first, the best looking guys first. And he's like, yeah, that's the guy. And God says, Samuel, I don't look at the outward appearance. I, I haven't chosen this guy. Matter of fact, Jesse didn't even think it was necessary to call David to the meeting because Samuel says, is this all you've got? And he said, well, I've got another son, but he's like watching my sheep. I mean, we can go get him. God chooses the, the strangest people to do amazing things for His glory because I think the, the, the greater our inability, the more our dependence on His ability and the more glory God gets from it. I, I think that's what happens. Moses says, I don't talk good, God. Okay, perfect. You're, you're the guy. I choose you, Pikachu. You know, I mean, he's, he, I, I, I pick you. You're my guy. I mean, I, I, don't, I, 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 I think that, that God looked and he said, I need someone who's going to plant churches and train up pastors and who's going to be an apostolic authority in the body of Christ and who's going to author two-thirds of the New Testament. How about the guy who's killing Christians right now? Perfect selection. That doesn't make sense, man. Like bad choice. Jesus, did you know that one of your disciples is a tax, tax collector? Did you know that, Jesus? Did you know that that lady, that she, she was a harlot? Do you know that she was a prostitute? She's washing your... Do you know? He's like, yes. Yes. Over and over again, the selection process of Jesus shows us the heart of God. And I think that I'm talking to a group of people that God has put dreams and passions on the inside of you. And there have been times where you have been stirred. Maybe you have accepted that stirring. Maybe you have tiptoed around it. But I bet that there have been times in your life, and maybe even recently, 
where you've been stirred to do something for the Lord, maybe on a Sunday when you heard a message, or maybe in your own personal time with the Lord in prayer or Bible reading, or maybe in a conversation with your spouse or a friend or a coworker where you were really stirred up to do something for the Lord. And you said, man, it'd be great to do this. And then you said, but. And the but is the thing that kept you from doing anything with it because you were all amped up Sunday morning inside the church when you heard a message on 1 Timothy and stir up the gift and you're jazzed and you're ready to go do something for Jesus. And then you get in the car and you're like, yeah, but I got a lot going on. Yeah, but I've got these limitations. Yeah, but I've, you know, maybe when this happens or when this changes and we begin to make excuses for the things God has put in our heart to do. We begin to delay them. We, we begin to kind of, kind of excuse our way out of the things that God stirred up in us to do. Oftentimes because we feel inadequate. Oftentimes because we feel like we don't have what it takes. And guess what? You're exactly right. You don't have what it takes, but it's not about you. It's about He who is greater on the inside of me who can do things through me that I couldn't do on my own. That way God gets the glory. I have to ask. It's my job to ask. Are you hearing me this morning? It's my job to ask. It's my job to ask and say, Lord, I feel this stirring, this drawing on the inside of me to do this, but I know I can't do it in my own strength. Lord, I need your Holy Spirit to empower me to do this thing that I feel like you're calling me to do because I know I am not the right person to do this because I know I can't do it in my own strength. Man, with that type of humility, with that type of persistence, with that type of hunger, don't you think that God is going to stir and awaken and attach something in you with a gift or whether it be something He empowers you with, whether it's for a season or something He always puts there for you to do regularly? I don't know. All I know is there were times where the Holy Spirit would empower people to do something in a moment, and there were times where the Holy Spirit gave someone a gift and they always were operating in it. I don't know. He distributes these things as He wills is what I see in Scripture. That's what Paul says how he works. And my role is to ask and want to be used by God and say, Lord, I know I can't do this on my own. Empower me with your Holy Spirit to do what only your Holy Spirit can do through me. Man, when I get up here to preach, you guys really don't want to hear what, what Derek Armstrong has to say, okay? You want to hear what the Holy Spirit of God wants to say to you, right? At least you should, because Derek's not really that sharp, okay? Hey, go ask my wife, I promise. She'll tell you some stories, and I probably embarrass myself and tell my, some stories on myself up here too. But there are things that God does in me and through me that I know are the Holy Spirit. And there are things that He speaks to you that maybe didn't even get shared from my mouth, but it's the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. He's trying to stir you up to do something. That's the gift God uses me in. That's the thing that I get empowered by the Holy Spirit to do. But I have to ask, Lord, baptize me in your Holy Spirit. Empower me with your Holy Spirit. I want to do what you've created me to do. I want to receive those gifts. I want to desire, like Paul said, those gifts because I desire to be used by you because my life is to be lived as a living sacrifice before you. So, Lord, I want to die to myself and I want you to live through me so you'll get the glory. So I need to stop making excuses. I need to stop looking at what I can't do. If God's put the desire in there, I need to pursue it. And I need to trust in the Holy Spirit to do what I cannot do. So ask God to empower you with His Holy Spirit to do what you were created to do. Jesus likened it to a baptism. 
He said, it's like, a, it's like a baptism. Like, you remember when John baptized you into repentance? It's like you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's going to be something that happens where, where you're desiring to be used by me because these guys were unready. I mean, they wanted to go. Could you imagine after Jesus ascends into heaven and he tells you to go in all the world and make disciples? Couldn't you imagine? You're pretty amped up at that moment, don't you think? If you're there, right? And Jesus is like, yeah, but don't. What? What? No, we're ready to go. He's like, no, uh-uh. Okay, well, what do you want us to do? I want you to wait. Okay. I thought you told us to go. I want you to go, but I want you to wait. What are we waiting for, Jesus? You're waiting for the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is going to empower you to do this thing so that way you still can't think that you're the sharpest tool in the shed. So you can't think it's somehow because you were with Jesus. Oh, you were with Jesus. No, it's because the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it wasn't because you followed Jesus and you were his favorite disciple. And he, and nope, nope, it was because the Holy Spirit. So just go and wait. It's going to happen at the right day, at the right time. We'll win. Just wait. It's going to be great. And he's going to empower you to do what you can't do on your own. Could you imagine what those guys were thinking when Jesus told them to go and then told them to wait. But what are we told to do? What's our role? We need to ask. We need to knock. We need to be persistent. Lord, I want to be used by you. Prayer of my heart is, Lord, I want to serve you with everything. Like, I really want to know, Lord, I, like, what is What's the thing you want me to do? And, 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 and Lord, what do you want me to grow in to do? And I've tried, you guys, I've tried, okay? I've tried to strive to get better at things. And it's good to, to try to sharpen, you know, your own skill set, and that's great. But there comes a time where it's not within your own ability to sharpen because it's God wanting to do something in you. It's just, do you want God that much? Or do you say, God, hang on when I get, when I get this sharp. And it's like, no, I want to use you. Stop making excuses. Stop, stop making it about yourself. Oh, man, I'm preaching that one to Derek Armstrong today. I, I, I consume leadership material. I consume those things. And he's just saying, hey, you know, let me be glorified. Have you asked for my Holy Spirit to help you with these things? Wow, sometimes that's kind of like last resort for us. It's like we've taken all the medicine in the medicine cabinet and seen every doctor, and then we're like, let's try the prayer thing. And we do the same thing. It's like, oh, I've read all the leadership books. I've tried to consult all the best things. I guess we need to ask God. No, pursue Him. God, empower me with your Holy Spirit. Give me the gifts I need for the task at hand. Baptize me, empower me with that Holy Spirit power for, for this thing that you've called and put in my heart to do. I guess really the bottom line is just to continue to pursue to be used by God and for the glory of God and ask. So does the Spirit of God dwell in you? Does the Spirit of God dwell on the inside of you? In other words, have you received the work of salvation? Can you say, like Paul said in uh, chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians and verse 3, that Jesus is Lord? Can you definitively say that you know Jesus is your Lord? Do you live like He's your Lord? Have you been changed? If not, maybe today is the day of salvation for you. Receiving salvation is simple. Acknowledge your sin and repent. 
Tell God how you feel about that. Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I want to repent of that. Acknowledge it. And then receive Jesus' forgiveness and his love and commit and confess with your heart and your mouth that he's your Lord, the leader of your life, that you want to say, Jesus, I want you calling the shots in my life. I want to devote my life to following you. I, I know I've sinned. I know I've messed up, but I need your grace. I need your goodness. I need your forgiveness. I want to commit my life to following you. Have you done that? Because if you have done that, the Spirit of God dwells on the inside of you. And you can't just try to work your way into this thing either to think I'm just going to do enough good and that's good enough. No, it's not. Because it's not by our works that we're saved. Just like we were singing, I, I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. He gives it away. But I have to ask. I have to receive. I have to confess. That's what my role is. Have you done that? If not, I want to encourage you to do that today. And if you do that, let us know. Because we want to help you on your walk with the Lord and your journey with the Lord. You can fill out the card in your bulletin. You can tear it off. It's perforated. You can hand it to one of our prayer team members at the end of service. You can take it to guest services. You can take it to the drop box that's uh, hanging right off the door of the office as soon as you walk in the building, the little silver box. You can put it in there. And we'll follow up with you and help you on your journey as you grow in Christ if you have not received him today. Or you can pray with one of our prayer team members and they can give you a book that's going to help you on your journey with the Lord. And if you have received Jesus, but you haven't asked God to empower you by the work of the Holy Spirit, then I want to encourage you today to ask ask. God, I want everything you have for me. I want to be used by you, and I realize I can't do it in my own strength. I ask that you would empower me with the Holy Spirit to do everything you want me to do, because Lord, I want to be used by you. I need, I need your Holy Spirit. Give me the gifts that you want me to have to do what you called me to do. Put it in me, Lord. That, that stir it up in me, Whatever it is, immerse me in it, Lord. I just want to be used by you, God. Man, I, I just believe that a passionate pursuit of God is, is what we need to awaken to in our lives. Pursuing Him and everything that He has for us and everything He wants us to do. And my hope and my prayer is that you are passionately pursuing God and that you are passionately pursuing the desire to be used by the Lord and recognizing you need Him. Even when you say, yes, yes, Lord, here I am, you still need him. You still need him to accomplish the task at hand. Lord, empower me, baptize me, immerse me, surround me, awaken within me, whatever it is, Lord, so I can do what you've created me to do for your glory. God, I thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity that I've had to share from your holy word with our church family. I pray today that you would stir up in our hearts a realization of the need to pursue you more, to hunger and thirst for you more, Lord, to want what you want for the same reason you want it, Lord, more, to not be just seeking an experience, but God, just be seeking a change in lifestyle, a change in priority, a change in habit. A change, God, in, in our hunger and our pursuit of you. Stir up such a hunger in us like we've never known before, God. Let us taste and see that you're good and then want more. Let us continue, God, in our pursuit of you. And Lord, we thank you that you do in us and through us what only you can do by the working of your Holy Spirit.
both in us and through us, both to salvation, to edifying the church, and also to being witnesses for your kingdom. We thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen.